Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Authentic, a study on the book of James. We're going to pray this morning, and uh, I'm going to pray for our team that is in Nagarote, Nicaragua right now. Um, William will be preaching pretty soon, uh, so he'll be preaching down there as we're worshiping here. So we're going to pray for them this morning and for our time in the Word. And I'm going to open our prayer with uh, one of the prayers of St. Patrick, because I think it's fitting, not because we're going to go eat Lucky Charms later, but because this was a man who, believe it or not, was not even Irish. I don't know if you knew that. He was English. But he was a missionary uh, to the Irish. He basically uh, just evangelized you know, pretty much the whole country, planting churches and, and uh, monasteries. And so uh, just a great man who had, had a great impact on that nation. So bow your heads with me. Um, I'm going to pray and read this prayer and as we open. Christ, shield me today against wounding. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through the mighty strength of the Lord of creation. Father, I... Uh, I'm thankful for men like Patrick, who uh, their impact is still being felt, not in parties or revelry, but in the fact that uh, many people heard about you and saw you in him, and that's echoed in his prayer. And and those words, Christ in the words uh, of everyone who speaks of me uh, and who hears from me, that's so applicable to our text for this morning. And as we approach it, uh, again, I, I... I think it is very fitting, as I said earlier, that I will be the one hearing it three times because I am desperate need of it, probably more than anyone in this church. And so I just pray that this uh, encouraging yet challenging text would be fruitful, bear fruit in our lives, especially in regards to our speech. I pray for your spirit to fill me, to empower me, uh, to encourage your people to build the church. Lord, I can't do that on my own because I'm broken because I stumble in many ways, just like James says. Pray for our team in Nagarote. Lord, just that you would protect them physically and spiritually, uh, bring much fruit in that. We don't want to just leave and harm the church there. We want to equip them well uh, and and not uh, cripple them. And so just let this time that we're there be encouraging to them and to our people. Maybe there be life-changing things that take place in both sides uh, so that we can celebrate with our brothers and sisters down there uh, who we will spend eternity with. And so this is a great opportunity for us. And so I thank you for sending that team. Uh, Just guard them as we go. And, And we pray these things in Christ's name. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Go ahead. If you have a Bible, turn to James 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. And James is kind of towards the back of the, of the scriptures on page 654, 55 is where we're at in that, in that kind of copy right there in front of you. Last, this past Christmas, I don't know what happened to me. Something got it. I got a, a bee in my bonnet, so to speak. And my wife had mentioned, you know, a project that needed to get done, and I'm like, I'm going to do that, just on a whim. I'm, I'm going to do that. So I, I set out to build this, this paver in front of our house, this kind of little walkway for us. Now, if you know anything about me, I have like three tools in my repertoire. I got a hammer, a screwdriver, and a stud finder. And after that, I'm pretty much done. 
right? So taking on any kind of task for me is kind of a big one. So not knowing what to do and not having any tools to do it, I go to the one guy I know has everything. That is Greg, the tool man, McGinney, all right? So I go over to McGinney. I'm like, what do I need? And he's just, he's got tools for tools. He's got drills. He's got levels. He's got all this stuff and he's giving it to me. He's like, you need this and this. And so I load up the little Honda, right? And I got the ability to do some major good in the back of my car. And in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing, there can be some great things done with those saws and tools. In the hands of one who only knows how to use a stud finder, there can be some great devastation done with those same tools. There can be lost fingers and limbs and trees and houses. There can be destruction or there can be building. There can be great things done and there can be devastating things done. And that's kind of at the heart of our text today, that God has given every single one of us a powerful tool, one that can be used to do great things and accomplish great things. And every single one of us has it. But on the flip side, every single one of us has the potential to destroy, to be destructive with the same tool. And so as a church, what we want to talk about today is how can we, how can we use this tool for, for building and for good rather than destruction? That's, that's at the heart of our text today. So we're going to be looking at James 3, verses 1 through 12. And the tool that God has given each one of us, many of you are familiar with this passage, is our mouth, as he's going to say it, the tongue, which is just a figure of speech, a mentonin for, for, the, for the way you talk. And he's going to give, in in these 12 verses, three powerful ways in which you can use your mouth, three powerful ways in which you can build, three powerful ways in which we can do good. But yet, with each one, he gives a warning. Be careful of this, though. Be careful of this, though. Be careful of this. So let's look at our text in its entirety, and then we'll unpack it. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able also to bridle his whole body. If we put tongues into the, the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also... The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Right up front in verse one, James hits the first way in which we're able to use our mouth in a powerful way. And he addresses teachers. He says, not many of you should become 
teachers. And the first way that you can use your mouth in a powerful way, the first way it's a great tool is to teach. It is to teach. It's a powerful tool for teaching. We have a faith that is based on the fact that God can be known, that he wants to be known, that he wants you to know about him and his love and his goodness and his greatness, and that he has written it down for us in scripture. And communication of that truth is a part of of what we do, right? It is necessity for us to teach about who God is. And one of the great ways in which you can use your mouth is to teach and to point people to this direction and to the greatness of God. And it can be as as dramatic as something like Peter in the book of Acts where he preaches and thousands of people come to faith. Or it can be as, as majestic as a mom with their little child, their three or four year old, tucking him in a bed and singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and teaching that great truth through just a simple song. It could be a systematic theological professor who's teaching the future pastors and shaping their their theological minds, or it could be a a guy or a gal at a coffee shop just teaching another person how it is that that they do their quiet time, how it is that they, 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 they spend time with the Lord. It can be someone sharing their, their testimony in front of thousands and how they came to faith in the Lord. It can be this little college group on their, in their dorm having a, a little Bible study or that little group that meets at 6.30 at the office beforehand just, just to, to talk about the things of the Lord and to share and encourage one another. It's a powerful tool to teach. And all of us are called in some way to teach. We're called to teach others. Now, in the context, though, he is not addressing just everyone who is called to teach, just in teaching your lives. He's speaking specifically to those who are called to teach, those who are teachers, guys and girls who God has supernaturally given the ability through the Spirit to communicate truth to other people in a way that there is growth. And, and Ephesians 4 says that God has given teachers to the church to teach, to build, to equip. And this is who he's speaking to, right? And so let me just address those of you here who may be that teacher guy or teacher gal. And Let me just give you a few practical things for you, if you're a teacher, to take to heart things that I've read about. One of the greatest books you can read on being a teacher is Teaching to Change Lives by by Dr. Howard Hendricks. If you've never read it and you're a teacher, you need to read it because it's a great book. But just let me give you just a couple things to think about as a teacher uh, that that I think are important. And I've only been doing this seven years, so I'm not the expert, but I stole all the experts' advice, and so I'm giving it to you. Uh, And these are in no specific order, but here's a biggie. When you teach, don't teach your opinions. If you're going to stand up in front of people and say, this is what God says, you better be sure he says it. And if you're not sure he says it, then don't say it, or say you're not sure. You get a lot of trouble saying, thus saith the Lord, and you're wrong. You be diligent to be a student of the Scripture. Don't teach what you may think. Teach what the Scripture says. Right? You ha- really, apart from Scripture, you don't have, as a teacher of the Word, you don't have anything to say. So teach, just teach what the Scripture says. Number two, know who your audience is. If you're the third, the three-year-old teacher, and you're trying to teach them about the hypostatic union, probably not going to see a lot of success. All right, know your audience. Know who they are. Know where they're at. Know what they're struggling with. Know where they've been. Know where they're going. Know who you know that. That's important. Right, every letter in the scripture, Paul, Peter, they know who they're writing to. Be a good student. All good teachers are good students. You're constantly learning. Even when I preach a text that I've preached before, I won't, I don't just whip out the old sermon and be like, oh, I've done this before, I'll just do it again. Woo! 
I may look at it just to see how did I do this, but I want to see the text with fresh eyes. I want to see it where I'm at now. I might be in a different place than I was four years ago. I might be in a different season of life. And so be a good student and then be you. You are not John Piper and you don't need to be. It's okay. You're not Mark Driscoll. You're not Billy Graham. You know, pick your preacher of your flavor, Tim Keller, whatever you want. You're not them. Don't try to be them. Be you. God has gifted you. He's given you the gift with your personality. Let him use your personality. Don't try to be someone else. You'll be frustrated because you'll never be them. Be yourself. And then don't teach until you've first learned. Filter your lesson through your own life. Doesn't mean you have, you're perfect, but make sure you're talking to yourself first. This is why this text today is right up my alley, because this is where I'm at. This is me, right? Also remember this, content is not the only thing that matters. It's important, but delivery does matter. If you're always yelling at people, God loves you, don't you understand God loves you? Come on, people, God loves you. That, is that the heart of when God says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only God's son. It's not the heart of the passage. Your delivery should be as close to the heart of the text as the text. So if Paul's fired up, that, then you can be fired up. If Paul is mellow, then you, if Moses is here, the, te- the, the tone of the text is, 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 is important. All right, so don't be, you're not Jonathan Edwards too, I promise. Right, you're not, so don't try to be. Okay, tone and delivery matters. Take every opportunity that God provides for you to teach. It's another one. If you're teacher guy, teacher gal, there is no JV. Not, not in the kingdom. Well, I can only teach the fifth grade class. Then rock it. I started middle school boys, my first teaching experience. It was probably the worst lessons ever. Those kids probably are like, oh my gracious. But that's where you start. You start, you start there, you learn. A Bible study of three people, this group, that's where you, there is no JV. Someone offered, hey, would you be interested in teach? You're like, yeah, I'll teach. It's an opportunity, God, if you have that heart. So take it. And here's a toughie, teachers. Expect criticism. Expect it. Statistics say that at any given time, if you're a leader, teacher, that 5% of the people that you're leading don't like you. They're mad at you. So if you've got a group of 20, one person's mad at you in that group. Got a group of 100, five people are mad at you. Got a group of 1,000 around where? There's 20 of y'all that at any given time don't like me very much. Okay? That's, that's the statistics. Right? But if, you're, if your goal is to please everybody, you'll end up pleasing nobody. There's only one who enlisted you as a soldier, and that is your aim to please him. Okay, that's what the apostle says. Doesn't mean you don't receive criticism. Doesn't mean you can't get better. You can Right? But you, you expect it. And then the big one here, and I think this is where the text goes, is check your heart. Why do you want to be a teacher? Why? Is it because you want to be in charge? You want to be up front? Because you want to have everyone hear what you got to say? Because if that's the case, James says, uh, you, you better be careful. He says, not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we, and he identifies with you, we who teach, me included, James saying, will be judged with stricter, greater strictness. That one day when God evaluates you for your service, when you stand before the judgment seat, not for your sin, that was dealt with at a cross, but there will be a certain more difficultness to your evaluation. When I was in seminary, when we got to the higher levels of Greek, there was a professor named Dan Wallace, all right? And you didn't take Dan Wallace 
unless you wanted to get smoked. Because Dan Wallace wrote the book, literally, that you were using. He was, it was his grammar. You were taking his course, his book, and everyone knew that if you took his course, he made you memorize every single thing in the book. And so everyone said, I'm not going to Dan Wallace. And so Bill Fowler said, I'm not taking Dan Wallace. I don't want to memorize because I know that the tests are going to be hard because everyone gets C's in that class. And in my class, everyone gets A's. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to choose the easy Greek prof. But the idea is the same here. If, if, if you were a teacher guy and teacher gal and God has called you to do it, do it. Because you want to do what God calls you to do. But make sure you understand that because you are a big time hearer, that you're gonna have to be a big time doer, that you're gonna be held to a higher standard because you're the one communicating these things and God has given you an ability to understand what he said. So he's saying, don't take it lightly. Don't just say, oh, what am I gonna teach today? Well, I don't know, I'll just kind of flip around. Oh, that looks good. Be diligent to present yourself approved as a workman who rightly divides, right? That's the heart of it. So if God's called you, if he's gifted you to do it, do it. But just understand, don't just wanna do it because I wanna be in charge, There's a powerful tool to use your mouth to point people towards truth and point people towards Christ, but it's not something to be taken flippantly. And the reason why is because we all stumble, he says, because we all, and here's the warning, again, it's because there's a stricter evaluation, right? There's gonna be a, a, a higher evaluation for those who are called to teach. But he says, he admits it, he says, we, James, all, I stumble, he says, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, and there's only been one of those, his brother, the Messiah, the Christ. He said, but if he's perfect, he's able to bridle his whole body. But no one is perfect. And so what he's saying here is, we all struggle. I, James, put my foot in my mouth. I, James, say things the way I shouldn't say it sometimes. I say it in the wrong way. I say the wrong things. I am hurtful. I am guilty. But my brother, he wasn't. He was a perfect man. But you, that doesn't take away from the fact that there is still great potential to use your mouth to teach, there's, there's a greatness about that, that you can do that. So if God calls you to do it, then do it. But then he moves to the next area, the next area of influence, I mean, of tool, and that's this, that your mouth can be used as a great and significant tool of influence. And this is where he spends most of his time. And this is where he hits everybody. And he's just, and I love that James is so, he's just like his brother in, in the way he is a, an unbelievable communicator and teacher, where Jesus would just take everyday things and just make it real and and relate it to their lives. James has that same ability. He uses several illustrations here that are, you're not in an agrarian society living in Palestine 2,000 years ago, but they still make sense. They're still as relevant to us. Yeah, I get that. I understand it. it. It saddens me that most of my illustrations in 20 years, no one will understand. I say Mr. Miyagi in 20 years, no one knows who that is. I mean, that saddens me. All right, in 20 years, if I use the Mac and PC thing, PC will not exist in 20 years. That's not gonna be an existing situation, right? Right, so, but James used illustrations that, that still work, and the first one is, is a horse and a bit. Verse three, he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, oh, you went too fast, there we go. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He says, you've seen these mega horses, this big, huge, powerful, mighty, strong animal. How do you get that huge animal to go where you want it to go? You just put this little thing in their mouth that compared to the size of the animal, it's nothing. But that little thing steers the entire course of that animal. You want it to go right, 
He goes right. You want to go left? You want to go forward? You want to stop? Just that little thing in his mouth. That's just like your mouth. It steers the course of your life. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go up to Windy Gap, North Carolina. Um, and uh, we got to ride the swing. Okay, for those of you young lifers, we got to do that. And one of the things we got to do was we got to ride horses, which I have done one time in my life. I was like 11th grade, all right? But I had my boots on, all right? I had my boots on. I'd seen all the Clint Eastwood. I'd seen the three amigos. I was ready, all right? And so we get there, me and my wife, and they put these helmets on us, and they make you turn around. They give you like the 30-second, pull this, pull that, go here, go there. Got it? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah. And they say, turn around. We turn around, and then we have to read this sign. You can die riding horses, is what it said, basically. Okay, and we're like, okay, we got that. Thank you, Young Life, you encouragers. Turn around, all right? And so, so we get there, like, they, they hand out our horses, and I, I climb on the horse, and I, I kind of talk to my horse. We get an agreement. I'm patting him on his neck, and it's going to be a good ride. I'm, I'm gonna, it's going to be fun, right? Had an agreement. My wife, at the same time, she, she's getting on her horse back here, and I could swear when she gets on the horse, I heard it laugh. Because from the moment she got on that horse, there was no question who was in control. Because she's so sweet, and she doesn't want to, she pull, they don't want to pull hard, it's going to hurt. So, so the entire time, this horse is thinking, I'm going where I want. This is, this is going to be good. Now, since I am John Wayne reincarnate, everything was gold for me, right? Okay, so, so we go, and, and these little young lifers, they think, you know, I'm thinking, we're thinking we're going to go across the field. It's going to be nice. It's going to be sweet. We'll go, you know, through the cow pastures. They take us up Mount Everest, okay, with these horses, all right? There's rocks, and it's muddy, and the water's coming down, and, and I'm okay because, you know, I'm the man from Snowy River, so I'm gold. But Sarah's horse they told us, was a horse from out west. And this horse liked walking the ledges. It was used to walking the cliff. It was normal. And, and, and for those of you who've been to Windy Gap, you know these cliffs, it's like walking here, and it's like a bazillion feet down. Okay, no, this horse, Sarah's horse was uber comfortable walking just like this the entire time. Sarah was not. <laughs> So she's behind, and he's going at his own little slow pace, and everyone else, because he's just like, I'm in charge here. I'm gonna walk where I want, Right? Now, I'm, you know, I'm pulling my John Wayne. I'm telling you, all right, I'm turning around. I'm, whoa, silver and all over the place, right? But she's just back there at the mercy of this horse. And the entire time, the control was where? In the mouth of the horse. The question is, who's controlling the bit? That's, that's the entire thing. Who's controlling the bit? And that's the point of James. You got this little thing. All you have to do is control this, and it sets on course your whole life. Think about, y'all, the power of words in your life. Think about the power of your mouth, how it can be used for good to steer your life, to steer others' life. Think about if, if God has called you to be a school teacher, and your job for 180 days is to build into these kids and to direct them and to identify where they're good and where they're not as good and to, and to point them and say, this is where you're good. Do you see this? You could do this because you don't know where their parents are. You don't know if their parents are engaged. You don't even know if their parents talk to them. You might be the only person in their life that cares about them and you have the opportunity to say, this is good and you're good at this. That might be the only time they hear it. Think about that influence you can set on course. How many guys you hear, it was my teacher, it was my this, it was because that person pointed them in that direction. That's influence. That's, that's, that's power to direct. Think about when that person is down and they're struggling and you go and you just give them those words of affirmation. 
we love you, it's okay. You point them to God loves you, it's, it's okay. Or you, you're in the line at the Target and the lady in front of you is giving the Target girl a piece of her mind because of this and that and the other thing and you can tell she's frustrated and there's a line that's going all the way out down to Walmart and you're like, oh my goodness. But you get up there and she's just, she's just struggling and you just, it's okay. I'm not in a rush, you're doing a great job. Think about how that can just settle. Think about the power of words to encourage, to build, right? For that person that they don't fit. You know they don't fit. They're sitting at the, the lunch table alone. They're the guy that no one's shaking their hand during the greeting time. No one's ever had them over their house. Every, they're kind of lingering always at the end of whatever. And you go over to them and say, hey, you come with us. We're going to Barb's. Hey, you come with us. Come over to our house. Think about what that invitation is to that person. It is life-giving, Right? power of words, to build, to direct, to give confidence to a person that doesn't have any, to just write a great letter of encouragement to someone. When we were at Windy Gap, one of the things that, that many of y'all did is you wrote letters to my wife and I, and we had the privilege every day, we were there for four, four days with about five other pastors from churches about the same size as ours, just to hang out and get away from everything. And one of the things we enjoyed doing was just opening the letters that you guys wrote to us. And reading them. It was life-giving. It was life-giving to us. Right? That's, there's power in words. I love you. To death do me part. I forgive you. Right? Power of influence. Parents, you have the power to direct your children the course of their life. If you have boys, you know what your boys need more than anything? Your boys need to hear that you are proud of them, no matter what. Doesn't matter if they get C's, B's, or A's. Doesn't matter if they go four for five, that you are proud of them. If you're a grandfather, if you're a 68-year-old man, you, your son still needs to hear, I'm proud of you. You know that? I'm proud of you. There is, those are life-giving words, y'all. You don't even know. If you have daughters, you need to constantly be telling them, you're beautiful, you're pretty, I love you. Because out there, everyone's gonna tell you if you're not photoshopped, look like this, act like this, this is beauty. No, you need to affirm that that, you're beautiful, that builds, right, it builds. Ladies, your husbands, your husbands, you can do a lot. They are, they are rugged and tough. They are. You can hit them with shovels, and it won't, they won't even feel it sometimes. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the, most, the best thing you can do is give them words of respect. Because there's something in a man that rises up when he is respected, and he will lay down his life. Thank you for providing for us. I respect you as, as my husband, as, as, as the father of our child. There's something powerful there. And husbands with wives, words of love. You're more beautiful today than the day we were married. I love you more today. You do a great job at doing, no one sees that you do all these things. I I. I love you, I appreciate These are, I'm telling you, y'all, these are words that influence and they build, right? 
They're powerful. And that's where James is going. That's the bit. And he uses another great illustration. Verse four. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't show that. There's, there's the wild horse from Montana, right? Before we went up the, the cliffs of Dover or whatever they were up there, right? Great time, and thank you guys for allowing us to go. It was great. But he says this in verse four. Look at the ships. He gives another great illustration. It's the same thing. Look, look at the ships. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. How does that, that huge aircraft carrier... How does it get into port? It's not the wind. It's not the sea. It's some guy at the, at the, the wheel directing it through that rudder, right? It's the rudder. It's the guy who's steering the rudder that moves it in and out of control. And when the rudder is out of control, the ship is out of control. And one of the greatest illustrations of this, and preachers for the last 60, 70 years have been using it, so I'm not going to break the chain, all right, because I've read it and many a commentary and listened to many a sermons. I'm like, everyone else uses it. I'm going to use it too. The, the German ship Bismarck, the destroyer of the Bismarck, all right, was a German battleship. It was the pride of the German Navy, and it sunk the pride of the British Navy, all right, the, the HMS Hood. And because it did, the Brits sent everything they had after this thing. I think I got a slide of it. There it is. There's the Bismarck before it went down. Um, and they, they sent all their ships after this Bismarck, right? And what happened is no ships could, could really damage it, but one torpedo plane, one little torpedo plane got through, dropped a torpedo, and you know what it did? It just clipped the rudder and clipped it in such a way that it was stuck at an angle. So this ship couldn't steer, so all it did was go in circles. It's like NASCAR from 1944 <laughs> until the British surrounded it and they sank it. Why? Because the rudder was out of control, right? This huge ship, this great, great invention by man, and it goes down. Why? Because it can't steer. And that is the idea that the little rudder steers life, and it can give wisdom, and it can give counsel, and it can give encouragement. But when it's out of control, it it can be destroyed. And maybe for some of us, the rudder being in control is to not actually say anything, Maybe it's to not say, maybe it's to zip it. Maybe it's not going to, and this is very appropriate for me because this is me. Maybe it's not going to my, my kid's coach and saying, well, why did you do this right now until we cool down a little bit? Maybe it's not going to that person that said that one thing right away until you cool down a little bit or going to your boss or going to the person in the cubicle next to you, cubicle next to you until you've cooled down a little bit. Maybe it's waiting before you give construction criticism. Maybe it's waiting a little bit. It can be used as a great tool to build and to steer and to drive and to go there and to steer the course of life. But what James says here, it also, here's the warning, it has the potential to destroy. At the same time, it can destroy. Right? He says this in verse five. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You've seen the fires in California and Arizona. It started by one lightning strike, a million acres burned. One guy throws his cigarette butt out the window. Thousands of acres gone in houses. One little thing. It's the mouth. 
And it, once it starts going, you can't stop it. He says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. That's the, the parts of our body. Stains the whole body. This little thing can, can stain the entire body. It sets on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. It's empowered sometimes by, by the flames of hell. And he uses this Greek word Gehenna. Jesus uses it frequently in the gospel. It's a place outside of Jerusalem. And the Old Testament is where they sacrificed people. In the New Testament, it became the trash dump of, of Israel. So they just throw all their garbage down there. Dead animals, dead everything, and they throw there, and it just constantly was burning. And there was smoldering, and it just stunk. And, and James says, that, your tongue is empowered by the flames of that. Where, you, where Christians, it's possible to go down and take a little coal from the fire and light their entire life. Right? Just like the devil, who his name, Diablos, means what? Slanderer. Who Jesus says was a liar. Sins of the mouth. Right? And some of you have been lit on fire by others, I know. All of us have. Some of you heard words 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. You still hear them in your mind. They still pierce your soul. So they can build, but they can destroy, and they can wreak havoc. Right? And so the, the, the text desires for us, no, 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 don't destroy, build. Some of you, I, I fear you, you're burning down your spouse. You're burning your kids. Four for four, four for five is not good enough. You should have been five for five. A B plus is not good enough. You should have got an A plus. And we destroy one another. Or they hear you always talking about how bad they are and how bad that school is and how bad that church is and how bad this. And this, again, this is, this is why he says we all stumble because there's no one that escapes this. We do this. And, you, and, and we're, some of us are closer than others to burning it down. Some of you, the way you speak at the office, you, you're close to losing any, any potential for any impact you might have for the kingdom. You're burning it down. I can tell you more families and churches have been destroyed by the mouth than by infidelity and false teaching. Right? Because of slander and gossip. And he says, no, no, build, build. How about this? How about if, you're, if, you're, if you have a tendency to be critical, here, here's a good rule of thumb for you maybe this week. Before you say one negative thing, you gotta say four positives. So when you come home and you're thinking, what in the world is, everything looks, you, got four, you gotta say four things, positive first, right? Just as a practice. Because it's, it's easier, it is easier to destroy than to build, it is. Right? It is easier to destroy. I see, my, I see this in, in everything. I see this in my kids. They build these elaborate Lego systems that are like thousands of pieces. Takes them three days to build. Takes like three seconds to tear that puppy down. That's the same way with people. I read an article last week. I was so sick. I hope if he was at this church, we would have strung him up already. I'm telling you. This guy was on an airplane. He found out that the pilot was a woman. He wrote on a napkin, women shouldn't be pilots. Proverbs 31. Have a nice day. Something like that. It was longer than that. I don't want to. I was sick to my stomach. Well, he probably thought he was doing a great thing. I'm being an encourager. He doesn't even know who that woman is. He doesn't know where she's at. And he writes this little verse. Mm -hmm, isn't that nice? That's the kind of knucklehead stuff we're talking about. Really? It's just silly. So he says, guard, build. Not thank you for not crashing the plane, lady, before we got here. You shouldn't be in there. I mean, it's easier to tear down, right? It's easier to tear down. It's a, 
we have a powerful tool, y'all, that God has given us to build, to encourage, to challenge sometimes. And it doesn't mean we don't say the hard things sometimes. We have to, but you don't have to enjoy it so much. And you don't have to rip people's hearts out and be like, I'm just, just calling a spade a spade, right? We say the hard things sometimes, but we do it with love. We let our speech be seasoned with grace as with salt so we should know how to respond to each person because you have a powerful tool to teach and you have a powerful tool of influence. And there's one more thing here he hits. And this is maybe the, the climax really of the use of the mouth. In verse nine, and it's this. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father. You have the great potential and power with your mouth as a tool to be used as a tool of worship. It can be used as a tool of worship. And I don't know if there's a ranking, but what more pure way to use your mouth than to praise the one who has created you and made you? And this is what the psalmist says, right? I mean, so how many times? Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my lips. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory. The psalmist continually goes there. Peter says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Why? That you declare, that you proclaim his excellencies. And so there's a way in which you can use your mouth to worship and to celebrate who God is. I think we do so much complaining and not enough celebrating. And this, I'm talking to myself. I can remember this week how many times I complained. Yesterday, I was complaining about how cold it is. And I'm sick of the cold and this and that and the other, right? How many of us in four months, you're going to be, oh, it's so stinking hot in Savannah. <laughs> uh, right? It doesn't matter what it is. We complain. And I think as the people of God, no, one of the greatest ways you can use your mouth is to worship and to be thankful. And, and, and something I think that we need to do, I think we need to put the phones down. We need to turn the TVs off, some of us. And we just need to enjoy celebrate God. Maybe it's go for a walk. I went for a walk this morning when I went out and I was just shocked at just, I just listened to spring and it was loud. I was just like, oh my goodness, it is so loud outside. The birds and the, everything was going crazy. And I'm thinking, how good is that? Some of you need to turn off Fox News and get a fish or something and watch that, okay? <laughs> get yourself a bird feeder, right? Watch the birds, turn off Hannity. I'm just telling you, you'll make yourself a lot happier. I'm just telling you, right? And that's, that is a direct application of this sermon for you right now. <laughs> because we complain too much and we don't thank enough and our private worship stinks or doesn't exist. We're great at corporate worship, but private worship, not so. Where you just get along with God and you're thankful. How about this week, spend five minutes, just five, and just thankfulness and celebrating God, just five minutes. Go for a walk. You, can do it. you don't have to do it in the morning, you can do it at night. Do, but just spend some time celebrating, it, celebrating who God is and being thankful. And let me just talk briefly about singing, all right? Just let me talk about singing. Because some of you here, I know you men, you're like, just preach the Bible. Give me the Bible, 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 Bible. Don't much like singing, but I like the Bible. Let me just remind you of something. In heaven, there's not gonna be many sermons, but there will be singing, just so you know, all right? There's gonna be lots of singing and not a lot of, not a lot of sermons. So I think some of y'all ought to start while you're here. And I know you're gonna, well, I just don't really sing. Lies. Because when that song comes on the radio, sweet home Alabama, you're singing. <laughs> and bye-bye, Miss America. Come on, kids, let's go. So my Chevy to the, you're doing it in the car. No one cares in the car, right? But when you're here, it's like, oh, this guy next to me, I don't know what he's gonna say, I don't know. 
That's pride. No one cares if you can sing here or not. All right, we, we don't care. How you sing matters as much as what you sing. And if, and if the, the Christ was, was standing here, how would you sing to him? Because you know what? He is here. Can't see him, but he is here. And so when you sing, sing like that. Because it is a powerful way to use your mouth. It is an important way in the way you use your mouth. Right? So, so let, let that be the case when we show up. And then here's the warning, okay? And he, and he gives us the warning. Warning is don't be inconsistent with your mouth because there is a potential there. And, and here's how he says it, verse nine. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, okay? We sing, we talk about, oh, wouldn't BSF great? And wasn't my community group great? And look how much I'm learning and blah, 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 blah. And then with it, we curse people who are made in a likeness. I just sang, and can it be? Amazing love, how can it be that, that God would die for me? And we go out, can you believe she was at church? Oh my goodness. Did you see what she was wearing? Why can't they ever be on time? Did you, I know what I heard about them. And it's right after. And he says, and I love that he says we. Don't you love that he says we? He doesn't say you. He says we do this. He says we bless and then we curse. And he says, my brothers, this, this shouldn't be the way it is. This is not how it is. It is inconsistent. It is a schizophrenic use of your mouth. That's what it is. He says, so, so this is not fit. And he gives, again, two great illustrations that we, we it still makes sense. He, he, he says, does a spring Pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? No. You don't go to the water fountain, all of a sudden it's, you know, it's good water one time, and all of a sudden now it's, it's salt water. That's, that's weird, right? He says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a gra- grapevine figs? No. So you don't go to a tree and say, oh, it's an apple. Oh, apples and carrots. That must be Savannah water. I don't know what's going on there. That's weird. No, it doesn't happen. He says, neither can a salt pond. He says, it goes back to the nature. What is the nature of the tree? If it's an apple tree, it's apple. If it's, a, if it's a pure spring, it's pure water. And he goes back to the nature. And this is because he's heard his big brother say, it's not what goes in your mouth that matters. It's what comes out of your mouth because your mouth speaks that which fills the heart. So the heart is the course. Where is the heart? Because your speech is going to reflect it. And so if it's not about stopping saying those bad words. Don't hear me this morning. It's not, oh, you better watch those bad words. That's not the heart of the passage. The heart of the passage is we got to get to the heart of the matter. This is what matters because your mouth will speak what's in here. And so you got to ask hard questions like, what do I worship? What do I want more than anything? And if it's to look like her, to have what he has, to be there, what's going to happen is you're going to be mad at them because you can't have what they have, and you're going to tear them down. Or you're going to be mad because you're never, they always get this, and you're going to be bitter, and there's going to be emptiness. Or if, if you're putting too much weight on that, and that's what you elevate, and that's what you worship, when you do get it, you're going to be disappointed, and there's going to be bitterness and resentment. It's going to come out in your speech. It just is, because your mouth speaks what feels hard. Or if you're holding on to, I'm not gonna forgive that person, you don't know how hard it is, what he did to me, or I'm gonna keep spreading that gossip, or I'm gonna keep talking about those lies, those are hard issues, and it'll come out in your speech. And so he says, no, the heart, it's gotta be the heart. We gotta deal with the heart. The mouth will speak these things, but it's the heart that matters. But here's the problem. We all stumble in many ways. In fact, he said it back in seven. I, I skipped it on purpose because I wanted to come back to it. He says, every kind of beast, every bird, 
reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed. We've tamed every type of animal there is. Go to the circus, you know, go to the zoo, you see elephants, you see all these animals, they've been tamed, right? You watch Swiss Family Robinson, you know, he's riding the ostriches, they got a tiger, good stuff. They tame every animal, but he says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. No, no human being. It's restless evil, it's full of poison. You say, where's my hope? There was one human being that did tame the tongue. His brother, our savior. And it is only possible with him. It's only by walking in his spirit. And here's what I want us to do as we move to worship. Two questions for you. Number one is this, on a scale of coach, critic, encourager, discourager, where would you put yourself? Are you like, I'm over here. Ask somebody else because you will be self-deceived. All right? Every one of us is. Am I a coach? Am I a critic? Where am I? And if you're here, you know where the goal is? Is to be here. And if you're here, the goal is to be here. You're never going to be perfect because we all stumble in many ways, but you can be on your way to that until you are glorified. You can be growing in this towards, towards this direction. And the second one is this. On a scale of talk too much, talk too little, where are you? And there is. Talk too little is not necessarily good either. Oh, I don't, they don't care what I say. Maybe they need what you say. Right? Where are you at? And again, ask someone else. These are important things because God has given you a great tool. I want you to see that. This is a great tool that God has given you to glorify him through worship and through teaching and a tool of influence, but it can be used to burn down and it can be used to be inconsistent and it can be used in ways that are harmful. And so we, I think where we start, all of us, is we admit it because it's we all stumble in many ways. We own it. It's not, you're not here. Oh, I'm glad you were here, honey, for this sermon. This one was for you. No, it was for you. It was for me. And I get to hear it one more time. It's for all of us. And when we realize it's for all of us, then what are we gonna do? We in humility, because James is gonna say, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You in humility ask, Jesus, heal my tongue. You tamed it, tame mine. Because there's only, the fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. What's the fruit of the flesh? Enmity, fits of anger, strife, jealousy. Where you normally go is there with your tongue. Where do you go when you are walking by the spirit of Jesus? Self-control. That's the only way, because he's the only one to contain it, because he is the only perfect man. And I think it just is a constant battle but we constantly come there. And that's what I want as a church. I don't want us to be that guy in an airplane. I, I don't want us to be just reading about this German ship Bismarck. You know what the captain and the, and the people on the Bismarck did? The British offered them a chance to surrender. You know what they did? We're not surrendering. We're gonna take this puppy down with us. I don't want you to be that the guy on the sinking ship saying, I'm taking it down, I don't care. I don't care if it goes down that you would be that guy that says, I see where I'm taking this and it's not going well. Lord Jesus, heal my tongue. That's what we want, right? Why don't you guys stand and we'll just sing one song and worship. And so let's sing it. It's a classic song, thousand years old. Um, but we're gonna worship through this. Let me pray. Father, you've been good and gracious to us. You've given us your spirit I just pray that we would be yielded to you and that 
if there's burning going on in this place, that this morning it would be just a first step towards the cooling waters, the healing water of life, our Savior. That he would put out the fires that we have set, that he would heal. And that if someone in this room just today even needs to go home and say, I'm sorry, I've been, I've been doing this, I've been harsh, whatever that looks like, Lord. I, not that we're just all happy, 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 and never say the hard thing, Lord, but that we do it with grace and that we are building and not tearing down. That's what we want, building and not tearing down. So may we do that for your name's sake and for your glory, we pray. Amen.